1: I had a lot of a let lot of like uh people go in my life that uh I was around when I was using and everything and like I don't really talk to them like I did anymore and it kind of like you know ruined things and friendships and everything but it was for the best man like you know once I pulled myself out of there like um a couple of people that I was around you know they changed and they went for it and as far as i know i don't talk to them on a daily basis they're sober too so i mean like that's there was a good a good ending we weren't as tight as we were but we were tight maybe for the wrong reasons i don't know
0: this is the knocking doors down podcast if you're looking to hear stories of hope inspiration and turning your greatest adversities into your advantage well you're in the right place i'm your host jason lachance and through my addiction recovery and struggles with anxiety and depression i dug into my passion of speaking with people who have transformed their lives and my guest nick greystone Nick is the lead singer and bassist for the heavy metal band, Demon Scar. Much like many other people over the last couple of decades, Nick became addicted to opioids. We talk about the depths that he went to within his addiction, the things that pulled him out of it including the love of his young daughter, and how Nick is finally sharing his story to inspire others and let them know they're not alone in their fight against addiction. Uh, Nick, three things you're grateful for today.
1: Three things that I am grateful for today. Um, Waking up, um, I am grateful for my support team as far as people that really care about me, that always check in to see how I'm doing, and my daughter. Yeah, My daughter is my most important uh, piece of my life and she's my reason why, you know, so I mean, that's uh, my main, uh, my main thankful part of my life. Yeah. Well, and
0: I don't know about you. Some people, you know, they'll be like, it solely has to be for you and about you. And I don't agree with that because I'm the same. My sobriety and wanting to do that was I wanted to be a present father for my kids.
1: Dude, it's really. She, uh, she was born 2014, the end of uh, 2014 December, and um, my sobriety date is May fifteenth, 2015. So, she once she was born, the game changed. Man, uh, I didn't want to be one of those. Uh, absentee parents because I was mixed up in my own world and everything, and I just didn't want to, you know, cut my life short and mess her up for life because I I know a lot of kids could uh, blame themselves or, you know, it messes them up from day one, dude, once they have, like, a uh, a parent that is dependent on something and they, they end up losing the battle. So... You know, at the time I was married too, when I decided to do this and, you know, my, my ex, um, she was very supportive of me with my sobriety too. So I owe a lot to her. She stuck by me through the whole thing. Now be that being said, my ex is my ex though, you know, <laughs> years later we separated, but you know, it wasn't, uh, she didn't stick, she didn't bail when I really needed her around. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like I said May 15th 2015 I'm uh I'm actually coming up on that anniversary. I'm 8 years uh opioid and, and narcotic free.
0: I love it, man. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: And yeah, I I can relate a lot to what you're saying cuz I grew up in a home of addiction and 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 it's funny cuz I consciously up until you know i don't know when it when it really started taking off but you know like as a teenager avoided parties didn't go didn't use. you know it's never a thing until i hit my 20s and so it was kind of oh i'm repeating this shit i don't want to repeat it but i can be the one that breaks it
1: yeah no i uh i never had a um An addictive personality, dude. I, you know, I ripped butts. I smoked them for years and I just quit cold Turkey. I was fine with that. You know, I would drink socially, uh, not in control when I would drink because I would swing for the fences always, but I was never, I would never label myself like an alcoholic. Uh, you know, I smoked weed. I was a very experimental person. I probably tried every drug under the sun and it wasn't until, um, five years before I became clean, um, I had broke my ankle, oh. uh, and I got hooked on, uh, I got hooked on pills, you know, and it was so easy to get these pills that it was just like, I'd go in every month. I'd tell my doctor I'd need a refill. He would never question it. And then I was in like a network where we all had pills. We all had like a cannot uh, Connection, but then it got so crazy where I would blow through my uh my prescription in a week and that was supposed to last me a month, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I would have to buy off the street off of people and it became so easy to get it, and that's why we're in this, and it's still what that's why we're in this position right now. I feel like the opioid crisis right now is one of the main. Problems that's going on, you know it's it's insane. Chemical dependency and all that stuff. Like I didn't think it was going to get me. You know I'm a I'm a musician and I I, I've worshipped these guys that were total drug addicts and I saw their stories and that still didn't drill enough into me where I should have been like, hey, you know what? Things really didn't work out for them when they were doing dope. So why? should I do this? And that should have been like a lesson right there for me that I shouldn't have, but it just, they, you know, I got the, the claws was sunk into me so hard. And, uh, it was bad. You know, once I was, uh, in my prime when I was using, I was probably up to about 25 pills a day snorting. I was snorting them, you know, and I, I wasn't even like, it was insane. As soon as I wake up in the morning, I chop one up and then repeat all day, multiple times an hour, like up to a point where I said 25 a day. That's like I was doing 10, uh, 10 milligram Percocets. Sometimes that wasn't even enough. I would go outside the box and do like 40, uh, 40 Roxy's Oxycontin, whatever I can get my hands on. Didn't matter. Yeah. And yeah, I'm lucky to be alive. I know that.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it, it it's funny when you're sitting there talking about that. We, you know, we both l- love a lot of the similar music and bands and, and you're right, we did see it and it was a good cautionary tale, but there's, I mean, this shit, like you're saying, the what we're seeing with opioid right now, and we saw definitely, you know, what was it early two thousands and so on. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's unreal. It just, it hijacks every part of the brain. Your reward system is totally screwed up. And, you know, it, it, it becomes your primary occupation. I mean, and I've seen it with the opioids is the only thing when I talk to some people that they're like, yeah, I didn't have an addictive personality, got an injury much like yourself, and they were off to the races.
1: Dude, and it, it, well, I was a functioning addict, so no one knew what was up. Maybe my inner circle knew, but, like, you know, my uh, my parents had no idea. My my ex-wife, well, my, I got to bring it back because I was with my ex-girlfriend at the time, and she wasn't street smart, so she could never pick up on it, so I could hide it from her well. But when I got back with, you know, when I got with my... Uh, my girl, like my ex wife at the time, you know, we right off the bat, I told her I had a problem because I knew she knew what was going to be going on because there was no way I was going to hide it from her. She was very, like, into body language and just how you were. And she could, she could tell. She would, you know, I wouldn't have lasted a day with her without her knowing, you know? Mm. So I was very honest with her from day one. But then I got dishonest because I, As far as she knew, I was like trying to uh, stay sober, but um, she went through a very bad delivery in pregnancy uh, where she almost died. And that's when I relapsed. And that last six months was terrible because you can, you'll definitely know about this because once you stop, your addiction doesn't, it's in a dark corner and it's working out like like Club of Lang in and Rocky three. It's hard. Yeah. It's going nuts and it's working itself up. And that's why most people OD when they start using it again, because they think, Oh, you know, I could get back to exactly where I was, but you know, they swing for the fences and it all takes that one time where they take too much and that's it, you know, case closed. Yeah. And I'm like, I said, I am so lucky that, um, I am, uh, still here, you know, I had to go to, uh, I try to get into a a detox program and I, I kind of like started hallucinating because I went cold Turkey in my Mm -hmm. intake and they thought I was having like a nervous breakdown. So they threw me in a psych ward. So I'm in a psych ward now with a drug, uh, dependency. And they're thinking that I'm having a nervous breakdown on top of going through drug withdrawal. So, they were pumping me full of all kinds of stuff. And I'm sitting around and I'm looking and I'm like, holy, I, I'm not a guy who prays or anything, but I prayed. I was the most scared of my life because I was like, just please get me out of here. And I swear that I will never, ever do this again. Mm. And, you know, I've been on the path, man. You know, I hate saying day by day. Cause it does sound cliche, but it is a day by day kind of thing because Being an addict, you know, anything could set you off. Yeah. And you could always pick up right where you left off. But, you know, we know how that story ends
0: while you're checking knocking doors down out don't forget to hit the subscribe button and if you get a lot out of this podcast share with a friend and don't forget the archive of interviews we have bam margera brandon novak kat von d charlie sheen edward furlong kelly osborne the list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives speaking of purpose how about a lifestyle brand with purpose 5150LTM. That's right, not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. And you, the listener of Knockin' Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. There are three amazing programs. The race to end the stigma, the race for autism, and the race to be drug-free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Go to Carlosvierafoundation.org. Oh, yeah. And and I think it's the, the, when I talk to a lot of newcomers, Nick, that I tried to express to them that clarity, you will get that, uh, you know, that restored to sanity, that promise that we get, you know, for 12 steppers, we'll know that, you know, a promise of being restored to sanity. And it, and it is, there's so many situations that are going to come up for us in life that maybe before triggered us or you know led us to the screw it why am i doing this or negative self-talk and so on but there, we get to a point where we start to play it out pretty quickly you know um and it sounds like you, you've you been there you've got more time under your belt than me but it's a wonderful place to be where i'm like you know i can have the uh the alcoholic addict thought just not the action
1: yeah no it's it is a good place to be in life and, you know, is worth it. You know, like, it's amazing the the people that I've come in contact with, too, that have their struggles and where you get inspiration. That's really why I'm doing this. I don't need a pat on the back and say, wow, dude, you did a great job. You're doing a great job. The reason why I tell my story, because for five years of being sober, I didn't say shit to anyone. Like, I didn't want anyone to know because I didn't want to be judged. But the reason I came forward was because you know what maybe I could spark the brain of someone that's struggling right now and they hear my story and they're like, "Well, you know what? Maybe I could try this." and save someone's life. You never know, dude, you know? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of people that were close to me or friends that I don't have anymore and mm-hmm. um it's been a sweet trying to celebrate something that I succeeded at and they failed and that hurts, you know, that really does hurt because I wish I could have been that friend that maybe that they reached out to that could have saved them. But you know, it all really starts with the, with yourself and that you have to have that faith in yourself and that you know that, you know, life is worth it and it's worth to try to get off of these things and whatever that you're using, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and, and many of us suffer um, from that survivor's guilt for sure. You know that, that when we sucks. lose someone, yeah. How, how do you how do you process it? How do you deal with it? How do you accept? How did you find acceptance of it? What
1: I still have a lot of guilt, self guilt, that I'll never get over. Like the the hell that I put, you know, my family through. You know, my uh, my kid doesn't know at this point she will because there's going to come a time when she gets to an, a certain age where I'm going to tell her my story and mm. that's going to hurt me to tell it to her. Cause I know she's going to, I don't want her to think any less of me or whatever, but like, I just wanted to know that, you know, daddy, you know, he's not perfect. And, you know, he went through his struggles and everything and, you know, I came out the other end and, and, It's for her. It really is. Cause I mean, like for a while I, and I'm still working on this, my self value, you know, like I always, I'm that type of guy that always put everyone before me and I still do that. So it's like, um, I'm always trying to find that self worth and everything, but you know what? I have to be at my absolute best for her. Yeah. So I I hope she appreciates that and, she takes it the right way. But I, like I said, you know, I just want to show her that I'm not a perfect person and that I do have some, uh, you know, flaws in my character. And I went through my struggles and everything. But, you know, just, just I keep on saying it, man. I'm just lucky to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it, and it's tough. Especially, I can relate to what you're saying as far as the, you know, putting others first self-love and so on and it, I, I i i would just encourage you anything to do to look at all those wonderful redeeming qualities because you you know everyone is in abundance I, and i don't know about you a lot of the the addicts that, that i meet that are in recovery i mean incredibly bright people um loving charming uh, talented i mean we'll get into you know music here after a little bit uh you know your, your your guitar playing and everything else but yeah i think it's i i've just tried to shift focusing on my redeeming and good qualities over the stories that i was attached to that were they were oftentimes egotistical like nobody can be the worst person on the planet planet you know what i'm saying it's like i know i'm not the worst person on the planet i'm not the greatest but you know, so as breaking like down,
1: playing it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah I get that.
0: so I had to get out of t- that story that I was so attached to the, I know it was a lot of, it was what kept me using, you know, and I surrounded myself with people that would reinforce that story. Thus keep going out, you know?
1: Absolutely. Dude, because misery loves company, man. <laughs> I mean, it sucks that I can't be, um, I had a lot of a let lot of like uh people go in my life that uh I was around when I was using and everything and like I don't really talk to them like I did anymore and it kind of like you know ruined things and friendships and everything but it was for the best man like you know once I pulled myself out of there like um a couple of people that I was around you know they changed and they went for it and as far as I know, I don't talk to them on a daily basis. They're sober, too. So, I mean, like, that's there that was a good a good ending. We weren't as tight as we were, but we were tight maybe for the wrong reasons. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, we get a lot of uh, – I,
0: dude, I mean, I was talking about this the other day with the buddy – you know, we were talking about like like the people we we're out and social with. I was like, they did me a favor. They just went away. Like, yeah.
1: it's funny how they do go away once you tell them. You know, you're going straight. You're like, you know, like, oh, okay, all right, a well, little later. And it's just like shit. I used to talk to a certain person like every moment of the day. Like we were on like, you know, we were like toxic twins trying to figure out like dude, we only got like seven pills left and we have like six hours. So like we need to like put our heads together and try to figure this shit out because if we don't want to be that, you know, that dude that's going to be withdrawing in front of everyone and then the gig is up, you know, like they're going to know. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. The shit that I'm thinking about the stories of like copping and going out and trying to figure out like, what's how to get it you know like crazy bro it's just (laughs) insane
0: (laughs) well sometimes war stories are always uh, good to share though i think every now and then because sometimes it's 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 (sighs) tell me what you think i mean you and I, i at least i can i can laugh because i'm here You know, my story doesn't end with my kids finding me, you know, having swallowed my puke from drinking too much, you know, or something, you know, so it's like, you know, we, I think we kind of get to laugh. um, Or at least for me, it's a hell
1: like a much of a scumbag that I was, you know, man, like, it's crazy. Like, dude, that's another guy. Like my, my, one of my best friends always says it to me, dude, you're a different guy, bro. From like, when you were, in your late twenties up until your forties or whatever, you know? And it's just like, uh, I do feel like that, you know, like a lot of, um, I gained a lot of like, uh, can't even say wisdom, but like, I don't even know what the word is. I guess I'm just easier to be around because I was like, a not so easy to be around when I was like that you know yeah i do (laughs) i was a dick i was a fucking dick you know like you know like i could still be a dick but i'm a different type of dick i guess i don't know
0: yeah well and and i think we we start to set the you know boundaries and some you know it used to be people were so used to us either age as being the dick or i was a big people pleaser and then it became people that were like oh you're such a jerk i'm like no you're saying that now because you don't like that I have boundaries. And those are a lot of people that it took some time to go away, but eventually they went away too. You know what I'm saying? they yeah, got yeah, used sure. to, they got used to the attic Jason or the attic Nick and they like that because there was something in it oddly for them. And once you kind of you start to change, and they can't dick with you anymore, you know, some of those people go away because that dynamic is, is destroyed. And that's all it was for both of you. It was using each other in one way, shape or form.
1: Sure. Absolutely, man. But (laughs) uh, (laughs) All right. You're laughing. So now you got to (laughs) tell, share the thought. So no, I'm just thinking of like, when I said like the shit that I've done, like just, just one time, like I'm not going to say a name or who it is, but it's Someone that was close to me uh, went through a procedure, and I had to pick up their medication. And it was painkillers, and I was in the height of the shit. And instead of giving them their painkillers, what I did was I bought a bottle of fucking Tylenol. And I threw the Tylenol in their bottle, and I kept the real shit. Because I felt like, all right, well, they really don't know about these painkillers. So, And their procedure wasn't that serious, so... I feel like they could get through it, but at least then I have mine. And that's yeah. like theft. I shouldn't have did that, but I did because yeah. I'm a scumbag.
0: <laughs> <laughs> were. Were.
1: Past yeah, tense. Were. Yeah, were. You know, another time, another time, like uh, a relative gave me some, uh, some painkillers and they put it in a little baggie for me and they gave me like uh, 10 of them which is great, but it's only going to last me a half a day. So I'm like, all right, how am I going to get more tomorrow? Cause they'll know if I hit them up tomorrow, like, uh, they'll be like, how the hell did you go through 10 of those? There's no way. And so what I did was I went home. I took out the real painkillers. I put in more Tylenol into that bag. I crushed it up. I wet it up. And about, I don't know, the next day, I hit them up, and I'm like, you will not believe what I just did. I put this in the wash, and I forgot to take it out of my pocket, and it got all fucked up. You think you could spare another 10? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no problem. Here go. And I'm like, yes, yeah, so and no, I got 20. So I'm like, I just doubled my fucking acorns.
0: <laughs>
1: but it was all just because the deception in the head, like coming up with the most manipulative, downright dirty, Bastard shit things that I did, you know, and like I have a lot of those stories, but those are just two that <laughs> came up in my head. <laughs> uh,
0: but well, that's where we go with it. Um, you, you talk, about is. you go
1: to a dark, dark, uh, spot, you go to dark places,
0: yeah, yeah, we do of things that we would never in a conscious state ever do, yeah. Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira, now available wherever you get audiobooks. I wasn't done partying, and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done, and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what i had left behind even though i was not yet going home i wasn't sure i had enough resources to continue the binge click the link in the podcast description to find out more uh i know i was gonna ask about so you you go into this uh the the mental health facility did they ever put you through anything to detox what was your transition from there
1: They gave me, uh, they gave me methadone for a couple of days just to take away the initial, uh, uh, I guess shock that it was going through my system or whatever. And then they started pumping me full of like antidepressants and they put me in like uh group and stuff and like just the walks of life that, and I'm not trying to diss anyone that has mental issues or anything or that need to be there. Um, But that's another problem in this world. I feel like, you know, the opioid crisis and mental health are like right Mm -hmm. up there with like the biggest problems in the world right now. So, dude, the people that like I encountered, there was a guy that they put me in a room. I only had I was in my room by myself the whole time except for one night. And the one night that they put me in a room with this guy, this little redheaded guy. And people that were during the day, they're like, oh, you're bunking with that guy. I even forget his name. I don't even remember. But they're like, oh, dude, just watch him. He's nuts. And I'm like, I'm looking at him. I'm like, this guy's no threat to me. I'll fucking put a (laughs) hole in his chest. I'll rip his fucking throat (laughs) out if he tries anything. Well, three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. And some, and it was weird how I slept in there because I really didn't sleep, but I would pass out, I would take cat naps. Well, I woke up to this fucking maniac standing on a bed, spitting all over the place, and screaming music and like singing in German. And I'm like, dude, if any of that fucking spit or whatever the hell is coming out of your body comes anywhere near me. I will fucking kill you. And I'm screaming at him. I'm like, stay the fuck on your side. I'm like going insane. All of a sudden they bust in, they rip him out of the room and they're like, all right, dude, you're going to be in your own room by yourself for the rest of the time. Cause we don't need that, you know, but they took him out of there. And from what I heard, this dude is like, um, he'll go in there, get his treatment or whatever. They'll cut him loose. And then a couple of days or, couple of you know weeks later, he'll go nuts out on in the public or whatever and get put back in there. And they said that like it was a re- repeat process for him for years. And I found that through a couple of people that were in there, you know? There was another guy who called me, kept on saying, Hey papi, papi, perico, perico. And if you know like Spanish, Perico is coke. He kept on saying perico and I'm like, oh, man, I'm not doing that anymore. But then he was like telling me I'm your, um, I'm your guardian angel, and if you get us some coke, I'll suck your dick. I'm nah. like, dude, I'll break your fucking jaw, and they'll bring you, they'll fucking carry you out of here if you fucking say that to me again. I'm like, I'm get the fuck away from me. And that was another guy that they carried out because like they put him in the rubber room, and then once he was in the rubber room, he shit himself all over the place and started putting shit all over the wall so i saw him get carried out one day he wasn't dead they just had us to sedate him really good and i guess they put him in a dark hole in somewhere in that hospital because yeah. i never saw him again but i guess that was a good thing because it kind of saved his life yeah because yeah at that point i you know seeing shit like that and i was in there for 20 days so like just seeing all that stuff and like it permanently fucking scarred me. Like I will never put myself in that situation ever again. Sure. Like I was getting. I I still think about it. Like you know, like talking nonchalantly about it, but that's like some some fucking trauma that I went through. Then I put myself there, and all I could blame is myself. Right. You know.
0: Well, and it's it's the thing. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's some of the things that, <clears throat> especially. Anyone that maybe hasn't gotten there yet, gotten to that point where they want to get clean and hear those things. These are all potential things that could happen. These are all potential routes you can go down. And, and you know, normally we just see those kind of things in a movie or a TV show or something. It's real. It happens. And you're one of those people that did experience that kind of stuff. And let alone the sadness that those are human beings and that's... That's how their mind is. That's where they've gone. And it's, it's heartbreaking, man. It's heartbreaking.
1: It sucks, man. I mean, you know, I was on the defensive because obviously, you know, I didn't want my dick sucked by some random dude like because of cocaine or, you know, getting spit on by some little leprechaun guy dancing on the bed. But like those guys, the characters that were placed there for a reason, I feel like. You know? All right. He, I uh, Always with even beyond this, people always say, dude, you got some kind of like lucky horseshoe, like somewhere jammed up your ass somewhere. Because <laughs> you get yourself into the craziest situations, but you always come out unscathed. You might have some mental uh, scarring from it or whatever, which is still, you know, still a lot, but you still can walk away and tell the tale, and it's just... I, 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 it's still unbelievable that I was in that predicament, you know? And, uh, yeah. And that's why, like, I don't share those stories with everyone, but like I said, you know, the reason I came on this podcast was to tell my story and hopefully, like I said, you know, it gives some kind of, uh, a warning, a threat or some kind of like message to someone that, Hey, you know, maybe what I'm doing right now, isn't the right thing. And maybe I should consider turning it around because it's never too late. Yeah. It's too late when they carry you out of there and you're not here anymore and game over. Yeah. Because then that's when the real pain and suffering starts because you know, you're gone. You may be at peace, but there's people that give a shit about you, you know, and like life really is worth it. And especially, you know, like, like I said, man, my reason why is my kid, you know, like, like, I am blessed every time I get to see her and, you know, live through her eyes and let her, you know, do her thing. And it's not about me anymore. It's about her. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. It's important yeah. to get out of our own way. And that's tough to do, man.
1: It uh, really is. Especially like when, you know, you put yourself into that, it's definitely tough to get out of your own way. Uh,
0: uh I got to ask uh, what was uh, what was little Nick like man what was growing up what were you into I got to you know I'm interested in, into how you really got into music and everything else but I just want to know childhood for you
1: Oh I was a straight up devil man like you know I was <laughs> a wild fucking kid like I did crazy shit and again the horseshoe or the guardian angel or whoever looked over me got me to this point right now to talk to you but um how i got into music and movies is from the same source it's my older brother matt he uh he showed me texas chainsaw massacre and motley Crue, not simultaneously (laughs) but around the same time when i was about seven and that's changed the scope of my life because that is my life now like um uh I mean musician. I'm not a full-time musician, but I, you know, I play in a band Demon Scar. And uh we've been together uh since 2017. But prior to that, we were under a different name. And that's another key person in my life, is my guitarist. He happens to be my best friend too. Uh and he's not only that, he's also my Wrangler and my editor and all that combined man like he has my back from day one and uh you know just being a musician i'm able to get all this shit out that i have in me and like that's my outlet i i've been away from music i was away from music for two years in my whole uh out of the last 25 and that's Mm -hmm. when my kid was born and another time my ex-wife was like dude, I need you to play because you're not yourself anymore. You got to like, you know, get back to doing what you love and everything. And that's where I'm at now, man. You know, we're doing great. We're uh, released a couple of albums. We're playing Milwaukee Metal Fest coming up. And at the end of May with uh, a lot of bands that I grew up listening to, like Anthrax and Suicidal Tendencies and uh, Biohazard and, Lamb of God, you know, so that's cool. And nice. I got to play the Whiskey at Go-Go in, in December, which was always a lifelong dream. And now on the horror front, um, I'm actually in a movie that is being edited right now uh, called The Forest Hills. And um, that movie starts Shelly Duvall. It's her first movie in 20 years. Wow. Edward Furlong from Terminator 2. Eddie! Um, yeah, man. He's Love got his, guy. uh, you know, he's got his whole tale too, man. Like he's five years sober and that's great to hear. Cause I'm a fan, man. I've been a fan of his for a long time and to be connected with him in a movie, like that's amazing. You know, yeah. my band, my band's got three songs in that movie. I have a little, uh, cameo in it and you know, it's, Things are falling into place for me finally after a long time, and it's uh, it's a good ride, man. You know. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's another reason uh, that life's worth it because I was able to do these things.
0: Yeah, that's that's dope. That's the right kind of dope. And and yeah, Edward, we we talked to him. Gosh, how long has it been? I think he, he was on the podcast two two and a half years ago. Uh, such a cool dude.
1: Yeah, dude, so laid back, so like down to earth, man. Like. It was cool, man. He made my kid feel special too because she came to one of the screenings of the movie. It was the director's cut and Eddie was there. And uh, you know, he let her sit at the table and she's a my kid's into kiss. So, you know, nice. Eddie's in Detroit Rock City, so like she saw the picture that he had on his table and he ended up signing for for free and you know, and uh just a really cool dude, man, you know, like um I saw him just this past weekend. He was at a convention out in Jersey. And uh, you know, I went up to his stable just to say what's up, and uh, you know he even asked for my kid just to see how she was doing. I thought that was really sweet of him, man. So yeah, man, I got nothing but uh, good things to say about Eddie. Yeah, and
0: and, and it is just another one of those continual examples of man how life turns around uh, when you get clean. It just can when you do the work. You got to do some work.
1: Yeah, it's not handed to you, man. You know no. it is definitely work. You know, there's one guy also too that was very inspiring to me that I met um, a couple of years ago at a convention, and he came out and told his story. and He's an actor. His name is uh, Ethan Embry. Yeah, uh, he was in uh, Empire Records. Yeah, and uh, he played Nick Papa Giorgio in uh, the <laughs> Vegas Vacation movie.
0: Yeah, that was the.
1: <laughs> but, dude, like, my ex at the time, you know, we went to the convention, and she was starry-eyed, like she was in love with this guy. And, you know, he made her feel special. And uh, I had just read an article that he had put out about his sobriety and, like, his his path. And uh, I had to tell him, dude. I was just like, dude, you know what, man? Like, as far as, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of your movies and everything. But, dude, that, that was cool that what I read, man, like your truth. And uh, I really do appreciate it. And I told him at that point, you know, I was like maybe like uh, two years sober and uh, two or three years sober. And he took a look at my kid and he took a look at my ex and he just, you know, he hugged me and he was just like, dude, life's worth it, man. And I that always sticks in my head when when I hear that, you know, and I said it, man, life is worth it. And he put it into perspective for me. So that was definitely a uh, a cool encounter, you know, yeah. Um, Another cool encounter I got to tell uh, got to uh, tell. This is one of my all time greatest influencers in music uh, is Nicky Six, and Nikki Six is an open book with this stuff, man. Mm-hmm. He's almost made a a second career out of telling his story. You know, he's he's very open. Sometimes even too open, but you know, <laughs> that's how he wants to do it. And he should have been my biggest example of why not to do drugs same but right like so i got to uh meet him i met him over the years but i got to see meet him again a couple of months ago and i got to tell him about me playing the whiskey and how that was always a lifelong dream but that weekend was not my biggest victory playing the whiskey it was what happened afterwards after we played the gig, we're hanging out at the Rainbow, and I'm sitting there. I'm having a good time, having a couple of drinks. All of a sudden, like I'm talking to somebody, and they put a key with some coke on it in front of me, and just totally cool, played it cool. I was just like, "Look, man, I appreciate it, but uh, thank you, but no, thank you. I'm uh, I'm almost eight years sober, and I just felt so good to." say no because I'm at the fucking whiskey go-go and I'm at the rainbow. I'm on the sunset strip. Like this to me is the top of like where I've always wanted to be. And I could have taken this whole great thing and just fucking boom, took it down to the deepest, darkest thing. If I would have taken one line or bump off of this guy because it, God knows where it would have put me, yeah. you know? And I'm so happy that when I did it, I went back. We were renting in uh, my band. We were doing a uh, Airbnb. My drummer pulls me aside, and he goes, bro, I am so fucking proud of you right now because I witnessed that. I witnessed you turning that whole thing down, and I didn't even know he was looking. And hmm. he hugged me, and we had a, t- a great moment, and like... I fucking lost it, dude. Like, I just got so emotional at that point, And I felt such pride in myself that I'm like, fuck, man, that's, that was great. And mm-hmm. I got to tell Nikki this and Nikki just gave me a high five, man. And he was just like, yo, bro, that's a great story. I'm so happy that you were able to tell me that. And this is where I told him, I was like, look, dude, I, I worship the guy on stage being that maniac, being that influence to me in music and everything. But, you know, the guy that I respect is the man that is an advocate for sobriety and a positive influence with me because that's what I really need. You Mm -hmm. know, and he was I could see he gets that every day about being a god, a rock god and being worshipped and everything. But I don't think he hears it a lot that people are clean and they get to thank him. Not as many as be, being worshipped as a rock god, I feel. And I, I think it took him back when I told him that, because I could see, you know, like it did. And it was cool to tell him that story.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. That's dope. Right on. Right on. Yeah. Uh, before we get to uh, random questions and leave you with the final thought, are you, so for you, like your recovery journey now, were you ever a 12-step guy? Are
1: you a 12-step guy? No, I never went through it. I just went through that detox for 20 days or whatever. And, uh, I never, I went to like some virtual meetings or anything, Mm -hmm. but I never joined any, um, you know, uh, went to like meetings in, in person. I went to them when I was in the hospital, you know, but I feel like they put me in more of a. I think they were dealing with more of the psychological stuff at that point when they had sure. put me in the psych ward because they wanted to see if I was actually really having a nervous breakdown or if I was having uh, withdrawals or just both. Sure. So, yeah, no, I never went to AA or to, like, NA or any of that. And I'm not you know, dissing anyone who does that. That's great, you know. I was just always scared to go there because I felt like if I'm going to be in there, I'm going to be with a lot of people that – are on edge and willing to throw it all away, and like you know like we could share like oh well i used to get from here and i used to get to there well what the fuck are we doing here let's go out and get from there again you know all right so i kind of stayed away from that
0: yeah everybody's got to have their own path you know there isn't
1: they're in one way i have a counter on my phone and that's like my daily thing like i'll you know it keeps it going or whatever and And, you know, 11 days, I'll get that other chip. And uh, like I said, it's not like a celebratory thing, man. It's a a bittersweet anniversary.
0: 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. All right, Nick, let's jump into some random questions, all right? Yeah, sure, man. All right. Uh, Since you brought up, you brought up Motley Crue being a thing. Uh, Favorite Motley Crue album and song?
1: Too Fast for Love and On with the Show. Right on. I got it. uh, Yeah, there it is. My first tattoo. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, you got the Theater of Pain? I got the Theater of Pain thing, but also underneath it. I got uh, OWTS, On with the Show. So, you got your happy times and your sad times, but regardless, you just go on with the show. That's why I put that on there.
0: Classic stuff. Um, if you could uh, perform with one band, maybe, like, jump on stage, play a song, uh, what band would it be?
1: Definitely Motley Crue, man. Still the crew. I would love it. Yeah, dude. I mean, I would love that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of bands up there that I would love to do that with. But, yeah, it'd be the crew, man. I mean, I would hate to, like, get up there and play an instrument and, like, you know, step on the toes of, like, Nicky because I play bass and he plays bass. But I guess he could have two basses going on at once and let me sing some backup or maybe even a verse. That'd be dope. I mm-hmm. would love that. Yeah. Hey, a Spinal
0: Tap can have like 25 bass players on stage at one time. You can have two, man. It'll work. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, If you could have one superpower, what would it be?
1: One superpower. Oh, man. I guess uh, to go back in time and and find out some – truths to some conspiracies that are unsolved So is that is that a thing sure why not make it a thing uh like what what
0: conspiracies any
1: offhand yeah dude i want to be in the bushes and i want to see if oj really killed man i want to know sure i want to be there i want to be at the manson thing like i'm a true crime guy so i want to know like really what went down i mean i know the end result which is not good, but like, I really want to know the truth about that.
0: Yeah. JFK for sure. Like that would be the Dude, one. Like.
1: Definitely man. Just hang out in like the, maybe not in the suppository place because that's like, <laughs> you know, it could be where it was, <laughs> but or maybe not even in the grassy. No, but maybe in a building across the street where I can like have like that thing where I could be like, freeze, zoom in, look in, like, see where the fuck had happened from, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely
0: uh if you were stranded who on a who killed
1: Marlon monroe who you killed him? Like, all right the dan you know that's a misfits thing but you know i'll i'll help uh glenn dancing out with some lyrics there I, <laughs> <it out. laughs> like, yeah. I know i know <laughs> uh
0: if you were stuck on a deserted island and you could have one movie and one music artist greatest hits what would they be
1: well you know the crew are gonna be there with me and one movie yeah well, if I'm on a deserted island, and and I I don't know if I would bring my favorite movie with me because then I wouldn't want to go swimming, and that's Jaws. So maybe <laughs> Jaws wouldn't be the one. So, I would say, uh, The Rocky or Goodfellas.
0: Nice. Yeah, yeah. Motivate you. Rocky will motivate you. See, yeah.
1: I'm gonna do Rocky because you know what? Then I and it, I I would be able to try to figure a way to get off that island
0: that's right absolutely yeah. uh what is something that uh people would be surprised to learn about you
1: hmm. shit man i'm an open book man i think everyone knows everything about me uh let's see like they know that i like neil diamond
0: see i didn't know you like neil diamond
1: Oh, yeah, dude, Neil Diamond is, like, one of my biggest, like, influencers. He's, like, one of the greatest songwriters ever. Killer voice, too. Uh, oh, dude, the best, man. New York yeah. guy, man, you know, was the pride of New York. Love it. Uh, yeah, you that, know what, man? I'll, I'll throw that Neil Diamond out there.
0: That's a pretty good one. See, I wouldn't have expected that. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. But that's kind of the funny thing about, about guys that it's, like, yeah, we're metalheads or whatever it is, and people have this perception. It's like I love the Bee Gees. I don't know what to tell you. I like a lot yeah, of yeah. No, music.
1: oh, dude, my influences are all over the place, dude. Like, I it's amazing. Like the people that I've seen live too. Like it's I've I tell people I've seen everyone from Frank Sinatra to Slayer and yeah. everything in between, dude. You know.
0: Yeah. Right on. Uh, Favorite sport and sport team.
1: Uh, I'm gonna say the I'm gonna I'm a Raider fan for life, so I'm, uh, I'm gonna go with that. The Raiders football.
0: How? What? Okay, didn't you grow up in Long Island? How did you become a Raiders fan?
1: Very easily because Jet fans are dicks and Giant fans are dicks, and I just <laughs> never associated myself with them. And some of my best friends are either one of those, fav- you know, one of their teams. Uh, I just like the Raiders because of the theatrics from the crowd and stuff. And I grew up with Bo Jackson being the fucking shit. And, mm. like, uh, yeah, man, it's it's been a journey. Like, I thought they were going to win that time in the Super Bowl. And they got the shit kicked out of them. Yeah. And uh, they haven't been back since. And now they're in Vegas. And I th- But you know what, though? I think I'm more inclined to go to a Vegas game than in Oakland. Because Oakland's kind of rough, bro. And, like, I don't know if... Uh, I'd go over it. <laughs> yeah,
0: I went to a few in Oakland, not not any Did like you? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, no cuz I'm a Raiders fan too. Granted football's down the line for me with sports, but I didn't have right. like any too bad situations, but having gone uh always went with a a buddy of mine, his wife and and the person I was with at the time. So there were some dudes that were pretty unsavory like language towards them. Yeah, You know, and it's just like, yeah, I don't know that I'll ever go to a football game live again. It'll take a lot. Last time I went actually was a buddy of mine. I wasn't sober yet. And he goes, he goes, hey, Niners Raiders game. It's going to be, you know, the last one like like here. So this was six, seven years ago or something like that. And uh, um, I'm like, I'm not going unless you have a luxury box and like a limo to get us there hour and a half later hey guess what we got a luxury box and a limo so you're going
1: (laughs) and and the raiders won so it was pretty cool oh dude that's a great day my parents took me to a raider game but it's when they were in la man they played at the la coliseum that was something bro like um i had a great day like tim brown returned a touchdown and they won they beat the seahawks it was a nice divisional thing but like it was cool bro like going to that i know my my dad was always like uh You know, not nervous, but like he didn't want to take, you know, his kid up into the heart of LA to a game. But like, whatever, man, he was a loving father. So he ended up taking me. But I remember just going in there, just walk into the stadium, don't look around, you know, like, (laughs) but we come from New York. It's the same shit. It's just a different coast, man. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> New York is so much better, right Right, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, it's all good. <laughs> uh
0: if people want to find out more about the uh your band that you're working with now, how can they do so?
1: Uh Demon Scar, we're all over the place. So we're on uh Bandcamp, Spotify, Instagram, uh Demon Scar Band on Instagram, Demon Scar NYC on uh Twitter, and I believe that's also for Facebook. Uh, we just released a uh an EP called the Whiskey Bootleg. That's on b- exclusively the Bandcamp. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, we're playing the Milwaukee Metal Fest. For anyone that's in Minnesota, come and hang out. And if you're on the path or whatever, tell me your story. That's cool. And The Forest Hills, this movie's uh oh, you know, yeah, it's yeah. coming out. Check that out on my IMDB, Nick Greystone. I'm on there. There's a link to the to the page for that and um right now we're in the uh process of like getting picked up by uh a major streamer but they want a little bit more horror added to it so we're doing some uh some insert shots so that's where we're at right now
0: wow Right, normally you don't hear that no give us more <laughs> give us more of that
1: that shit
0: uh Hey, Nick, uh, the floor is yours. Uh, anything that you would like to leave uh, people with, maybe someone that's struggling or a loved one that, um, of someone that's struggling?
1: Uh, just, you know what? Never think it's too late to turn it around. Don't be scared to tell your truth because it's only going to help you. Um, If you're watching this right now and you have nobody, I'm a very approachable person. DM me. I'll talk to you. You know, I have a lot of people that I could put you in contact with that could help you. And, um, you know, like I'm going to say I'm going to be your best friend or whatever. But, you know, I, I would love to try to help you and listen to you if you got no one to talk to and uh, maybe get you on the right path. And um, my biggest thing is always try to find something that occupies your mind because when you stop to think, it could be dangerous. You know, like you may find yourself like stopping and dwelling on certain things that you can't change because it's – let that shit go. You know, I'm a, I'm a work in, I'm a work in progress right now. I actually just reached out to start therapy for myself right because on. I was in couples therapy for trying to save my marriage. But I was trying to do that to save my marriage because I love my, you know, my wife at the time and I wanted to save it, but I wasn't digging deep into me. why, I did certain things or why I still do certain things. Like, so that's why I reached out. So like there's always every next, you know, level that you could take. So it doesn't hurt to tell, you know, to open up to somebody may, you know, be a little scary, but in the end, It's only going to make you a stronger and better person.
0: This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about.